All right. I'm excited to sit here with Dr. Brent Strong, who has been leading us through the Apostles' Creed for the past eight weeks, uh, a friend and someone who's uh, taught me a lot just in the eight weeks together, but also in times of lunch and coffee and uh, so grateful that the Strong family is a part of Christ Central, and it's yeah. been a blessing, man, having you lead us wow, thanks. over thanks. the last eight weeks uh, in this. And uh, I just want to start by saying why I was so excited to have Brent lead our church in this in this season. Uh, you know, we it's, the year's been a difficult year; it's been tumultuous, and probably some of the most extreme ways that most of us have ever experienced. And I really wanted uh, Brent to anchor us as a church and the objective truths of Scripture that are, that are found in the Creed in a time in which our subjective feelings are all over the place. And so I thought he did a wonderful job rooting us uh, in something that is objective but also historical, uh, that's not just uh, new and current, but uh, it's something that is uh, tested for 2,000-plus years. Yeah. And so uh, we, we had some questions that have been posed. This yeah. is a Q&A time. All right, bring it on. Uh, bring it on. I'll do my best. Put him on the spot and see <laughs> how he responds here. Uh, there were a lot of questions that, were, that came in around history. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to throw a couple of these out at yeah. one time, let you kind of respond okay. to All them. Right. So a uh, couple of questions were, uh, how reliable uh, is the Apostles' Creed? How, how can we be sure that it's reliable? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we know that it is an accurate portrayal of the scriptures, mm. uh, you, you know, one thing you said, Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Lash mm-hmm, mm-hmm, said mm-hmm. a lot was that it's uh, it is what the creed says in brief. The scriptures say at length. So right, how, do, right. how can we be so sure that the scriptures are saying exactly what the creed yeah, is? Saying? Yeah. So these are all great questions, and uh, you know, there's there's been books and books and books written about the development and history of the creed and of Christian faith um, that's that's related to the creed, and also, of course. Uh, Christian systems of thought that that are beyond the creed or, you know, uh, about more than the creed. So um, I think, though, that what you said about Lash is where I would begin with those sorts of questions. I mean, how do we know that the creed is a good summary of Scripture? In part is by making sure that, like Lash says, Scripture remains an open book and we keep reading it and we, we check. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, do we do we see the things in Scripture that the creed points out for us. Uh, that's, that's important to go back and, and confirm and, and check. And also realize that even if there's great correspondence, of course, I would, I would think there is great correspondence, yeah. uh, the scriptures say it at length and say more, more than the creed can, can capture in 77 Latin words. So that's, that's one piece, I think, to, to check. And I think it's important that we don't let the creed substitute for our regular engagement with Scripture, and we cultivate a biblical imagination that's informed by the creed. In some ways, uh, the old language of the church would be ruled by the creed, like organized and formed by the creed. The creed becomes a kind of set of glasses we wear when we read Scripture, but not a blinkered pair. You know, it doesn't block things out. It should open things up. And so I think that's an important thing to, to keep in mind, that the creed is sort of easily memorized. We can hide it in our heart, as it were, uh, but, but we can also hide God's Word in our heart. And uh, uh, it, it might be a little harder with, with how much Scripture says, but that uh, we got to kind of keep using the creed as an entree into Scripture and uh, keep Scripture in, in, in front of us and informing and reforming the creed and its multiple meanings to us. Mm. Um, I think the other piece is that you know, there's a, as I say, there's been a lot of research and stuff done on the creed and where it comes from. And 
And the creedal impulse is early. It's already in Scripture. And, you know, our, our uh, earliest creeds, like the Rome, old Roman creed, this is really the, the Apostles' Creed in a nutshell. And it's very, very early. I mean, second century. And, but then in the fourth century, we get the, the Nicene and Constantinople creeds mm-hmm. and uh, 325 and 381. And the, the, they're very similar. A lot of these creeds are highly similar. In fact, most of the creeds in the Christian tradition have some really strong family resemblance to what we see in the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. And there's variations, there's an, an emphasis here and there, um, and it reflects, I think, that, that the Christian church goes through time, like everybody else does, and, and finds certain things that are important to emphasize. And uh, this calls out certain aspects of the creed, uh, certain ways that the creed impacts other, uh, you know, streams of thought, including erroneous streams of thought, yeah, right? Heretical right. ones. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier, earlier uh, around some of the heresies that the creeds mm-hmm. were trying to counter and, and correct uh, mm-hmm. within the church. And uh, you talked about the Apostles' Creed having the chubby section of <laughs> of Jesus, right? right There's right, a lot right. of heresy around right. the the person of Christ right, uh, and right. his humanity and his divinity. And mm. um, and I thought you wonderfully talked about the both mm. of his humanity and mm. divinity and I wonder to kind of pull that the the good of historical rootedness of the creed into our day, our current day today. What what potential heresies do you see happening that the creed corrects today mm. uh, within mm. Western, particularly Western evangelical Christianity? Yeah, well, how much time we got? Right, <laughs> <laughs> a lot, a lot. Uh, you know, I think. I mean, there's probably all kinds of, you know, things. We, we joke sometimes around the seminary, or I do, that everybody's kind of got their favorite heretic. You know, <laughs> there's one that you kind of <laughs> like somehow yeah. because, because, you know, that sounds kind of convincing at times, you know, here or there now and then. Mine, mine is Pelagius. People can look him up if they want to. <laughs> Pelagius, my favorite heretic. Probably got a bad rap. I'm just going to say that. Probably got a bad But, you know, everybody sort of has tendencies, and it's, an, it's fascinating in the study of the church to see, wow, you know, that's something I sort of thought, and it turns out that's not quite right. <laughs> Maybe you should, should think about that yeah. differently. So that's kind of a, a chastening and humbling thing when you study church history. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, for, in the main, in light of this, this series we've done, I think probably the biggest threat or a, you know, heretical threat would be just that what we believe doesn't matter mm-hmm. or that what we believe is just as good as anything else or that anything else is just as good as what we believe that that's just not I don't think what the creed's about I mean I I don't you know to use the marriage analogy again I you know I I don't I'm not cavalier about my my marriage and I just the, the creed if we're serious about it and you affirm the creed you just can't affirm everything else at, at some point in time you're going to have to draw a line about what you can't affirm because you have affirmed this creed. So I think that's a, a, a major temptation for us in our culture and frankly in, in the church to sort of be soft and hem and haw about our faith and well, you know, it's, it's not that important, <laughs> that yeah. sort of thing. And so I think the creed really uh, corrects that when you start off with I believe and you end with amen. That's right. Yeah, the, uh, the sincerity of starting with creed, I this is what I believe. This is what I'm mm-hmm. committing to mm-hmm. in this marriage with God. Mm-hmm. And, 
I, I thought the way you started with credo and ended with amen mm. was such a beautiful way to make it personal mm. as we confess every Sunday yeah. this, you know, this faith yeah. that's rooted in the Apostles' Creed. It's uh, something that struck me is that I may not always, this is how, why I loved it and, and wanted us to do this, is that I may not always feel like I'm forgiven. Right. I may not always feel like I believe. Right. I may not always feel like I love God, but in this marriage, when I'm affirming this, it's also affirming what God is saying to be true of himself in this yeah. commitment yeah. that I make to him, but he also makes to me. And, yeah, that's right. Um, I like so, that. Yeah, I just, I, I thought that those were both really good. Well, in the communal context of the creed helps t- too, doesn't it? Because at times we might find ourselves struggling with a part of the creed or, or, or the faith in a ways that, that, that we don't at other times in our life. And the story that a colleague of mine once said is about the uh, uh, a gentleman he met that uh, lost his spouse of many, many years and went to church, you know, after her passing. And, uh, you know, just the death was so real and so painful that to, to recite quickly in rote form, I believe, in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, just kind of caught in his throat, and mm-hmm. he was struggling with that. And my colleague said, well, what did you do? And the gentleman said, well, um, the church believed it for me that day yeah. until I could say it again. That's you know? right. So the, the I believe is so important, and it's uttered in this we, That's context right. of we in the worship service, you know, at the at the table at Christ Central, that that's a... That shows uh, it's, it's kind of a Wikipedia meets the creed. You know, we are smarter than me. Right. And <laughs> so me, I'm a part of it, but, you know, there's the we. And that's so I right. think that, that that's exactly right. What God gives us back in, in our marriage, uh, in our relationship with God, and then with the, with the church, yes. how the church unites with us. And that's, that's right. really comforting, the communion of saints. Yeah, that's yeah. good. The staff team was talking about when we first had our indoor, first indoor service in our new facility, after not worshiping right. inside corporately for <laughs> almost a year, yeah. that when you heard, or capped at 100 people, but when you heard 100 people say, I believe, yeah, yeah. it just did something deep in our soul yeah. that, w- that we were longing to be a part of that communion yeah. that we yeah. had been missing out yeah, on. Yeah, for so, sure, for sure. Um, let me ask, and somebody else asked, how is this different You kind of than the Nicene Creed? Mm-hmm. You kind of alluded to mm-hmm. some of the difference, but the Nicene Creed is probably the other most popular mm-hmm. or well-known creed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the Nicene Creed is, is in its current form is earlier than the Apostles' Creed in its current form. Uh, but the but the Apostles' Creed goes back to these earlier uh, earlier versions uh, that even predate the Nicene. But the Nicene Creed then kind of redacted or or fleshed out a little bit further in in the uh, Council of Constantinople. This is really sort of the standard early creed um, that becomes the kind of quintessential statement of Christian faith in the fourth century on for a long time, and it's still preferred um, in in a lot of uh, you know traditions in Christianity. The Western Church kind of eventually favored the Apostles' Creed. Eastern Church favors the Nicene Creed. Uh, both say both parts say the uh, both both creeds, but. Um, Ecumenically, I think the Apostles' Creed might have a little bit more reach just because the Greek Orthodox will say the Apostles' Creed <laughs> with, the, with the folk in the West uh, if, if, if they so desire, you know. But, but each creed is, is 
very similar. In fact, a lot of these creeds, as I said before, in the Christian tradition, it, it follows some sort of family resemblance, the structure of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and certain things about, you know, the church or forgiveness or resurrection, et cetera. They fall in their parts. Um, but the Nicene Creed is definitely uh, early. It's got some beautiful language. It kind of fleshed out a little bit here and there. And it, too, in terms of its growth, say, from Nicaea to Constantinople, shows additional thinking and struggle about uh, the doctrine of the Spirit, for instance. Mm-hmm. Does the Spirit proceed from the Father and the Son or just from the Father? And that's something that that's continues to divide Western and Eastern theology to this day. Mm-hmm. So uh, very similar, I think, in some ways. But, but again, the Nicene Creed in its current form earlier, a little bit longer, and uh, doesn't have everything the Apostles' Creed has. Um, but, but, but both of them have the main things. Yeah. Uh, the main creedal elements are there. That's good. Um, well, this I don't think this was emailed in, but I, I had a few people ask me this okay. Um, okay. Uh, separately. So I think the descent into hell mm. uh, was uh, interesting for often. Uh, probably yeah. many people never heard yeah. kind of uh, the potential interpretations of what that means. Right, right. And um, so I, I'm not sure really how to ask the question, but uh, I'm, being schooled in kind of Reformed theology, John Calvin's kind mm. of view of descending into hell was you didn't mention because of, um, you, there are a lot to yeah. say within, <laughs> within 15 minutes. Can't say everything in 15 right. minutes. Right. Uh, but I think um, I, I think the way I, I don't know really how to frame this besides you know Calvin's view was you could summarize this better than me mm. but that Jesus going to hell was his separation from the Father mm-hmm. experiencing the fullness of God's wrath mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the weight of sin upon him mm-hmm. uh, the so that was hell, yeah. separation from the Father, yeah. Yeah. sin, bearing the sins of the world. Yeah. But I, so you can talk to that. But I think you alluded to this a lot. Was is that the the creed's not saying everything? Right, right. And I think sometimes when you spoke the things you gave, it could do this. It could mean this. It could mean this. And even your kind of poetry, a creed is mm-hmm. poetry. Right. Alludes to some of that as well. Yeah. Like, and yeah. So. I think so. I think this would be a case of that, that, that uh, again, what the creed says briefly, the scriptures say at length, or, or sometimes what the scripture says briefly or evocatively, the creed tries to capture, mm-hmm. you know? So I think what, you know, Calvin's view, say, of, of Christ's uh, statement on the cross of being, uh, you know, forsaken, God forsaken, and relating that mm-hmm. to an experience of God forsakenness uh, akin to hell, you know, that, that picks up on, of course, the gospel accounts with the cry of dereliction from the cross, quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, the descent to hell also picks up on things from the, from the New Testament. There's text in First Peter. Of course, we didn't have time to talk about this because yeah, the, yeah. Sections, the sessions were so short, but First Peter talks about uh, Christ preaching to the spirits in prison, but it's a very strange little verse, and yeah. like New Testament scholars, and I'm not one of them, you know, they, they spend their lives trying to figure these things out, you know, um, and then, uh, or, or in uh, Matthew, when uh, Jesus um, dies and the, the veil is, is torn in two, um, the curtain, uh, it says many... Saints were raised, and they walked around Jerusalem, right? So, you know, what, what you can see in the early church, and, and it kind of comes to fruition in the creed, is people are trying to figure that out. What, wait, why is that? Why would Jesus' death then suddenly result in people coming out of the graves, you know? Where are they coming from? What's happening to that? Yeah. Jesus' death brings new life for those people at the end of Matthew. Or, or what's First Peter talking about with these preaching to the saints in prison or... 
what does it mean that he, descend, if he ascended if he did not first descend? So there's these little oblique references. It's yeah. not entirely clear, but the, I think the creed is good because it captures it. It sort of captures it in a line that's evocative that actually allows for the revival down there in Hades or the fighting over the keys of, of, of death and hell or the dereliction of, of, of Christ on the cross. All of those are sort of possible because the creed is brief, you know, and the creed isn't locking us into just one interpretation. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the most important part of that line is, uh, for me, not which interpretation we pick, but the fact that Jesus goes all the way right. down. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what's so important, I yeah. think. So. I, I thought that, and it was well said. Yeah, yeah. good, good. Um, let me end with two questions. Um, one church, one personal okay. for Brent. Uh, so I'm reading a, a book right now, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church by Alan Creedner, I think is how you okay. pronounce his okay. last name. Um, and he, he says that, the, that patience is a virtue plus creedal confession led to the church, early church's faithfulness and expansion mm-hmm. to, be, to where we are today. Mm. How, would you agree with the aspect, obviously we're talking about now, is the creedal confession mm-hmm. part of the early mm-hmm. church having to just weather the ups and downs, the persecution, the, all that happened for centuries. Mm. How does the creed allow the church to remain faithful and expand mm. within the world? I mean, I haven't read the book. You know more about it than I do, but I, but I like the idea a lot. And I, I think it, for me, in listening to the question, it, it makes me go back to the first word of the creed that's credo rather than cogito. It's not, mm-hmm. I just think a few things about this. You know, I had an idea once about God. It's, you know, I've pledged myself to this God and this God's ways in the world. You know, what it says in the creed and ways it means, including the ways it means in practice, not just thinking or believing, but, but doing. And I think we have a tendency in, in the church in maybe more in North America than elsewhere or whatever, I don't know, but, but to think about faith as primarily a matter of, of, of intellectual assent. Yeah. Um, and then we stumble on parts of it. Oh, man, I don't know about this part of the creed or that. But it's, it's not so much that as much as the practice of the creed. And so, yeah, holding on to the, to the creed in the, in the church's growth and development. I mean, that's what motivated people to do great acts of faith and remain yeah. faithful in the midst of great adversity and take care of sick and dying people and minister to those who were uh, lowly and lost and, and not abandon those who were sick and all the rest. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is, is a credo kind of statement, not a cogito yeah. kind of expa- statement. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I, th- I thought, uh, I think it was your last one when you said, uh, if you believe this and practice it, it'll make... You'll make all the difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, I think so. You, individual, and we, the church. Yeah, I think Uh, so. All right. So, last question. All right. Time's running out on us. Okay. You you said often, uh, almost weekly, that uh, it takes a lifetime of to learn Mm -hmm. the creed. Uh, you're not that old, but (laughs) thank you. You have been a theologian and a scholar and academic now for. 25 Something years? Something like that. So, so like the new, the, the young Brent Strong theologian academic yeah. versus now the seasoned, yeah, uh, yeah. more mature, like what <laughs> resonates in your, as you've learned the creed yeah. uh, and, a, and a divinity school from, and been teaching around mm-hmm. these truths, what, what resonates with you now? 
Well, I think, you know, um, back in the day when I was the young hotness with the hair, <laughs> you know, the little hair, now the old broken. No. <laughs> I think, it's, not, it's, it's in, man, I'm telling you. It I think, uh, you know, I think, to be honest, when in, in the church I grew up in, where the creed wasn't really heavily emphasized. It was more deeds than creeds, mm-hmm. which, of course, is its own creed. Yeah. <laughs> no deeds, but creeds is, is well, that's a creed. Um, but so I, I kind of came to the creed in some ways late. Uh, really thinking that, starting to think about it a lot in seminary and, and all the rest. Um, so I think it's, it's grown on me, and the thing that, that's grown on me or my appreciation of, of the creed, especially vis-a-vis my upbringing, is um, the tradition, the deep tradition of the creed, the wisdom of the creed, the time-testedness of the creed, and, um, and the poetry of the creed, the porousness of it, that... You know, that's what keeps the creed, I think, lively rather than being a sort of dead letter where, you know, we just sort of tick the boxes or we are mad at someone who doesn't tick the boxes exactly like we do. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's this poem of God, you know, that's got a lot of, you know, space in it. Um, and the space that it, that it, that's in it is, is the scripture, uh, which, which is a, takes a lifetime of learning too. So I think what I've you know, in more recent days versus the earlier days is, the, is my appreciation and trust of the, of the tradition, the wisdom of the tradition, and the recognition that the tradition is a helpful, you know, it's, it's not everything. It, it, the tra- tradition isn't always right. I mean, right? We're Protestants, yes. for heaven's sake. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but the tradition isn't all wrong either, and it provides a kind of helpful uh, rule of faith, again, to use the language of the early church, a rule of faith to kind of guide the faith. Scripture remains an open book, so we can critique if we need to. We can correct if we need to. People like Martin Luther and others come along and correct. But, but there's something about the, the fact that we need a creed and, and, and the canon. You know, we, we need those two together. And um, as a Scripture scholar, I think uh, for a while I thought, well, all I need is this canon. And I think, eh, I also need my, my creed uh, to help me. Uh, guide me. What, what's most important, you know, and, and what am I missing or what am I underemphasizing? You know, what, what do I need to center on? So I think that's how I would, I would answer, at least begin to answer that question. Yeah, that's good. Well, man, so thankful that you would take the time well, in a busy schedule with a lot going on <laughs> that you would bless It was church. a pleasure. It was a, so, it was a blessing to me. So thanks for asking thank me you. to do it. Well, thank you all, Christ Central, for being a part of this. See y'all. <laughs>